Please be advised, the Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. Yo, yo, this is Treasy. Hey, hey, this is Corey. It's Martin the Mailman. It's your man Chandler. And I'm Young Lazy. And we are the Kind of Movie Critics. We are five weeks strong, y'all. I, I, you know, I, I know that's not a big thing. I know Chandler has a podcast, the Act 3 podcast. Hey, which, thanks. Uh, which uh, we, we, we mentioned here from time to time, and they mentioned us really good podcast, but they record every week. So this being five weeks in a row is probably not a big thing to him, but it's a big thing to, to, to me. And it's a big thing to the kind of movie critics. And I think it's still a big deal, man. You guys, you guys have been doing great. And this is a way harder podcast to set up than Act 3 is. You know, I get to do Act 3 basically while I'm at work. So doing yeah. this on our free time with this many people, y'all should be very proud. Yeah, we are very proud. Of and, and, and just for our listeners, refresh them on what Act 3 podcast is. Oh, my God. We have their attention okay. on Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a podcast about movies, TV, and pop culture. Um, and the thing that makes it unique is we break the topics down into three acts each week. Uh, three acts being just like a movie. Um, so and it's really fun. Your... We talk about lots of timely stuff. We do a little bit of film news. We, we do reviews and everything. And we do a lot of, uh, a lot of bits. A lot more bits per minute than, than this show. This show's a little bit more serious. You're you're pretty gigabitish over there. See, I was trying to line I was trying to line Lizzie up for you know when we had Stephen Wall on the pod, she said that she wanted to say like a movie, and I just else. took it from her just now. Well, well I'm gonna have my that. day. Yeah, <laughs> I did hear that because you guys had such a great episode about the little things, which is not a very good movie, but I really enjoyed listening to you guys' episode, and I heard Lizzie say that and. We are recording a little bit later in the day than we usually do, and it just slipped my mind, and I totally, I totally swept that out from under her feet. So, Lizzie, I'm so sorry. I promise you'll get your opportunity. You, you swept the leg, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> I got that crane, though, bitch. <laughs> Everybody but Corey got that reference, by the way. Because <laughs> yeah, Corey's never seen the Karate Kid. And, oh, uh, that was Karate Kid? In his lap. Yeah, that was a Karate Kid. <laughs> the sweep the leg? That's a... I really didn't know that. Sweep the leg, Johnny. Yep. Dang, Corey, Karate Kid's been out since, like, I don't know, how old was Jaden Smith? Was it, like, 2011? <laughs> also, like, let's let's discuss how he tried to he had tried to break flow on you for not having seen The Wire, but his ass has not watched The Karate well, I, Kid. I, exactly. Listen, I was well aware of the slander <laughs> I was throwing towards him, so, but this is uncalled for. I, um... <laughs> I do. I have never seen any Karate Kid, including Jaden Smith. And uh, <laughs> wax on, wax off is just. Uh, I don't. I don't really know what it is. It's a porn um, can, can we just it's have a man. moment to remember that Hillary Swank, Academy Award winner Hillary Swank, was in a Karate Kid movie? Was, yeah, the so worst it was the third one. one, wasn't it? No, it was the fourth it's one. Fourth. It's horrible. Yeah. Hold on, what was the third one? Karate, Karate Kid, Kid three. Part Three, I'm, uh, duh, motherfuckers. But I mean, like, what was the plot? Like, I, I remember oh, Part Two. He went to he went to Hong Kong, Japan, right? Jap Okinawa. Okay, so, I mean, listen, it's, it was a long time. I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I, I couldn't remember, but he went to Okinawa. And, and the third I remember, one, I remember this. Yeah, that was you the know, first one. Um, no, that was the second one when they had the things. The doom, 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 oh doom, doom, no, doom. no, you're doing the. Oh, you're talking about the drum. But when you yeah, rub your drum. hands like that, that happens in the first one when Johnny sweeps the leg and he has to go help Daniel right. with his leg. He remember he like yeah claps his hands together. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> but yeah, the second one they had the drums. That's what I was doing. My mom yeah. went to Hawaii and brought me one of those back. I beat that bitch until it broke. Nice. <laughs> but, did you I haven't heard that in a while. Tactic? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you what? do it with the same tactic? The do, 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 yeah, like no, I you doing it. Oh, okay, you did it like that. Okay, got it. Um, got it, got it. but uh, <laughs> people can't see my hands. Um, <laughs> but anyway, right. the third one is remember, Crease like was embarrassed because Mr. Miyagi like punched had made him punch through the windows and mess his hands up. So it was like this whole plot to get back at Daniel and Mr. Miyagi because oh, Daniel didn't yeah. want to fight in the tournament and um like Kreese's millionaire friend like kind of set it up so um they didn't know that like Daniel was being set up. It wasn't great. The first Yo, two were the best. That's funny that that's that's pretty I'm I actually gotta give you props for even remembering the whole like you were pretty you were pretty good with the with this synopsis. Uh conjuring the conjuring of the synopsis for part the re- three the I, recalling of things that are in my brain <laughs> there you go yeah see i'm bad at that That's all good. You, you just exhibited maximum maximum ability i, d- I don't like that movie that's why i remember but i love the yeah. second one i have like peter satara's glory of love like in a yacht rock playlist in my phone yeah well uh we heard a piece of it because it's i think you cut out a little bit it could have just been mine but you said you have a what playlist in your phone? Yacht, Rock. Yacht Rock playlist Yacht Rock. with Peter oh, okay. Cetera's Glory of Love, the theme from the Karate Kid 2. Oh, you know the part where the they're like running around? Honor. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question. Martin hasn't said like anything so far, and this bit <laughs> has said, gone on oh. way too long, so I think we should extend it by asking Martin to rank the five Karate Kid films. Martin is dressed uh, like Billy Ho again. I don't if know. It'll cares. probably be uh, the first one and then the Jaden one. Those are the only ones I've seen. So that's those are also the best of the five. No, part two is ill. I like part, part two. two. Part two, I would say one, two, and then Jaden, and then I agree three, and then whatever Hillary Swank bullshit. That's fair. So Judas of the Black Messiah, uh, Shaka King directed uh biopic how do you say it? biopic or biopic which it's one? not it's not biopic it's biopic and anyone yeah. biopic. biopic can expect a warrant to be served to them at their doorstep by me emphasis <laughs> on the wrong syllable <laughs> this is the do you biopic. really feel like it's a biopic though a biopic yeah i mean to some degree i think i think there's you know i i for me once you put it in historical context and we we are framed around this film is framed more so around Bill O'Neill than it is Fred Hampton, in my opinion. And I don't know. I mean, um, I would agree. Yeah. So, I mean, to, so to some degree, I th- I think it's still, I would still consider it a biopic. How do y'all feel about that? I would yeah. too. It's just not a Fred Hampton biopic. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, the word biopic doesn't necessarily always mean that it has to be about, one person you know it can be about a chapter in several people's you know i i don't i've never interpreted biopic as always being you know 100 percent from the perspective of one particular human being i'd agree right. with that okay so do how about you martin do you consider it a biopic um yeah but it's it's like a fun version of a biopic it's not something i would fall asleep on like it feels like a genre movie Totally like agree on movie. that. Totally so agree. It doesn't. It doesn't get boring. It's not like another Winston Churchill <laughs> biopic. It's like <laughs> it's not another like random. No offense, white dude biopic. So it's like, hey, come it, on, it now. moves. It definitely moves. There's a lot of stuff happening in this movie, and it's very entertaining. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like it's in that category. It feels way more akin to like a '70s crime movie. 
or like The Departed or something like that. Mm. It does a police drama. Movies. Good observation. Good observation. We say uh, in East drama. What'd you say? Police. Oh, police drama. They said East drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. That's a that's a very good uh observation. I, I'm I'm rolling with that. I'm rolling with that. Um, maybe that's what made this feel a little bit different because I was trying to figure out what it was that I really liked about this film so much. But I think you might have just nailed it on the head. Is that uh it gives us a lot to to digest. Um and 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 you know what's funny, man. I didn't to that point to your point about that. I realized that it's such a a very small span of time that this film covers, right? It's like yeah, not even a small. whole year. You know, it's like from how many months? Probably like ten months. This this film, if that, because it starts in nineteen sixty. Yeah. It t- starts in nineteen sixty nine, right? Like January nineteen sixty nine. I'm I'm not sure. I know when William O'Neill gets uh, caught, like still in the car. He's supposed to be seventeen years old, right? And yeah, it's also fall at that point. And it's fall. Because okay, so, based on the way that people are dressed. Right. So, okay. So it's probably fall of 1968 then. But, you know, I guess the point being is that it, it really just covers a very, very small period of time uh, with, with, with Fred Hampton's, uh, you know, Fred Hampton's uh, reign as the chairman of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party. Um which uh felt very it felt very good to see that on on film man uh you know just be, being a fan of the entire black panther party and, and and you know just the whole inception of that and following it as much as i can and you know have it you know in my adult years um just really it's just really cool to see it's just really cool to see the span of time i guess that's all i'm trying to say at the end of the day it's really cool just to see the small span of time uh, concentrating on this one central story uh, that we don't get, we really don't hear anything of, you know, to be honest, like you really got to dig in the trenches to know about Fred Hampton's story. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's coming to the masses this way. Did um, you guys know about Fred Hampton, uh, Corey and Chandler? Like, had you heard of it before this movie? I have. Um, I used to, I, I, I would say I, I worked with a gentleman, uh, who went to Hampton and uh, we talked about these kind of things back in the day. Um, we, when I worked for um, an after school program, I, I worked with a gentleman and we did like a movie exchange and he would give me black films and I would give him like artsy weird shit. And, uh, <laughs> and so he went to Hampton and uh shout out to Mr. D pause. That's literally, hey, uh, yeah, literally Mr. D. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, and he had mentioned it because um, basically as well, he put me on the Dead Prez and Dead mm. Prez referenced him several times in uh, a few albums. I'm not I haven't listened to all of their recent material, but well, they had an album, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And they had they had some stuff about him. I didn't know everything, but I was familiar with the Black Preference, the Black Panther reference. And then I was also familiar with. The idea that you know basically the FBI killed him, so nice. Yeah, so I, I actually was pretty familiar with it. What about you, Chin Man? Yeah, um, I didn't know who Fred Hampton was until uh, this movie was announced, or I don't know. I read the press release and saw who was in it and what it was about, and then I did some 
research and read the whole thing. So I ended up kind of spoiling the movie, but that's okay. I mean, I, I'm kind of glad that I knew what was coming. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's not a thing I learned about in school at all. I mean, I was actually talking about this with my girlfriend last night while we were watching the movie. Like, it's just so crazy. The, the public school education that we received about the Black Panther Party versus, like, the truth that I've learned ever since then. I mean, they're total opposites. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think there's any reality where I would have ever found out about Fred Hampton if I didn't take the initiative, you know, to, to do like a Wikipedia deep dive. Um, right. And, I, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I bet a lot of people from my or a similar background to my own have probably experienced the same thing. But good on you, Corey, for... I mean, I'm glad somebody was there to tell you, and and honestly, I learned a lot of things in the same way, like from you guys. It's important to educate each other about this stuff. Mm. Um, I yeah. just I remember growing up until a certain point, like talking to my father and doing my own research too, because we've discussed I've been woke since I was about eleven. <laughs> um, I always heard people kind of, and the movie did it too, just like equate the Black Panther Party with the Ku Klux Klan. And, like, I don't understand how someone can conflate self-defense and community empowerment with terrorism as really fucking disturbing. Yeah. Well, I, you know, shout out to the Information Act, you know, um, uh, 94. I believe it was 94 the Information Act was passed because... Clearly, it was very easy to paint this picture pre-internet, pre-people having the information, um, you know, having sites like Wikipedia and stuff like that. It's very easy to control the narrative of what they are, you know. And, and then, you know, I'm glad the film touched on this, too. There was a lot of print propaganda that really uh, that really pushed it forward. So 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 for me, so like, you know, we, we see in this joint where uh, uh they had like message from the Panthers that were being dropped off to what was the gang that was the crowns, but that I don't think that was a real gang. I feel like that might've been like the black peace stone. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, you know, we see how easily the propaganda and thankfully, you know, Fred Hampton was charismatic and genuine enough to kind of paint the picture for the leader of the crowns to let him, you know, to, to, to put the logic together. But imagine if if that gentleman was more emotional than he was, you know, rational. Uh, and I and I believe that that happened a lot. You know, you hear about, uh, you know, the rift between like the Black Panther Party and the US organization or, you know, uh, some of the propaganda that was happening between like Ma Martin and Malcolm. And it was just so easy to pit people against each other. So if it was happening within these factions, I can totally understand how it how it could happen to the American people as a whole. I mean, shit, it happens now, <laughs> you know, like uh, with with all the information in your hands and, you know, Word. all the social medias, it, it, it happens now. So back then it was probably even more um, isolated and able to control one singular voice for whoever wanted to control it. And apparently it was, Ed, you know, Jay fucking I'll shit in his skull, Edgar Hoover, because I really hate him. Um That's probably the one person in the that has ever existed in the world that I can truly say I hate. Um, do you think, does this film paint him enough of a fucking piece of shit or is there no. still like a ways to go? There's a, there's a ways to go. Uh, I, 
Pop Culture Happy Hour gave that same critique. They were like that. He came like very like evil villainy. He came across that way. And like very what I think um, Stephen Thomas said, he's twisty mustache like (laughs) um, villain. And she and Aisha um, Harris was saying how like this didn't really give you a full scope of how manipulative the FBI was and like instrumental they were in like propaganda campaigns and just the heinous shit that they actually did. Yeah. That was going to be my my one critique of the film. I, I I felt like a lot of I felt like every aspect of the story got shorted just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was definitely one of them of I I think this film relied on too much maybe self-knowledge versus trying to in educate the population you know what i mean i don't know it felt it felt like things were underdeveloped and that was definitely one of them what what else did you feel was underdeveloped um i I can give you my opinion of the film which i'll preface that i I thought the film was good um i think there's a lot of things around the film that make this such a good thing for cinema and a good thing for telling black stories but it was a two-hour film I felt like this was a three and a half hour movie that got an hour and a half cut out of it. Hmm. Like it, it felt like there were, there's a director's cut, you know, like when you always read on IMDb, they say, Oh, the first cut was four hours long. And of yeah. course that's never going to make it to cinemas. I really feel like this really was like a four hour movie and large chunks got cut out. Like, and, and I have to continue on, but like, I, I felt like, O'Neill getting involved with the FBI felt rushed. The heinous, the the evilness of the FBI was kind of glanced over. I even felt like, I felt like the only thing that was really well developed was Fred Hampton and what he was trying to do. I think that was the part that actually had the most meat to it. I felt like everything else was kind of shorted a little bit in that regard. So, so when so when you say, I think you used the term uh, self educate. Would you say self educational? Yeah, like I felt like the film relied on the fact that like a lot of your audience, maybe your audience is already gonna know. Got it, got it. So you you feel like that they 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 assumed that yeah yeah like I learned up to yeah I learned a lot in the in the credits. <laughs> I was like I thought the credits mm. was some of the most you know, and I was like man, I really felt like the movie should have been doing that you know, mm-hmm. and I know a little bit. Chandler knew none, mm-hmm. and. I think, I don't know, I, I debate whether that's a disservice to the story of the person, you know, and, and sometimes you can argue, is a biopic really meant to do that? Is it, is it supposed to be supplementary or is it supposed to be inspirational for you to go out and seek further knowledge and things like that? So, I mean, but I try to look at things literally from what is presented to me. So, right. yeah. Well, so, so after this, oh, go ahead, Chandler, did I cut you off? I was just going to say, I actually felt the same way. Um, I felt like the knowledge that I got from like reading about all this stuff on Wikipedia and just trying to like get a handle on it, it felt like the same amount of information that the movie sort of delivered. And of course, the movie does it in a in a brilliantly filmed and really well written and excellently performed way. But I didn't feel that it was as comprehensive as it could have been either. Um just as someone who really doesn't have much background knowledge on this, I didn't walk away feeling like I got the full picture of the story. I guess I was expecting more of like a like a historical epic, and this felt in the end like a very small story and i and I just don't think that it is 
that in the the prism of like our history as a nation but this sort of felt scale wise more like um what was the movie uh I'm so sorry. Oh, if Beale Street could talk, like it almost felt like that kind of scale, like very intimate, like just a few characters. Of course, some of them are like J. Edgar Hoover and stuff, but it just felt really small to me. And then I don't know that it sold the weight of how important and horrible the, the, the things that took place in this movie really were. Right. So, uh, so out of curiosity, did, did any of you guys, did any of you two go back to, did you do any more research after the film or after the film, you just kind of left it where it was? No, I, I, I glanced at Wikipedia and I, I, I'm kind of with him. Um, I mean, Wikipedia is the best place, obviously, but it's enough to, you know, to get an idea of what's going on. But I, I, I mean, I felt like it was, it was like a compressed Wikipedia page versus a true glance into who this person was and who these people were, you know, and, and and even to, um, you know, the, the FBI agent played by Fat, Fat Damon. Um, <laughs> Fat Damon. You know what I mean? Like, I mean. Ah, I love it. <laughs> I mean, who is a great actor. Um, yeah, all these people are great actors. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, even him. I mean, there was some untouched conflict with him that they didn't really dive yeah. into. And yeah. I, I'm not saying that's important. I'm just using it as a reference to the underdevelopedness of everyone. You know, I mean, there's just there were some things about the film that I just felt didn't get explored and, and it could have helped bring out the story a bit more. Um, mm. I think it's important to ask the question, who is the movie intended for? Um, and I think Corey, you kind of hit it on the head. I think the movie resonates most in terms of like depiction and meaningfulness and you being able to follow the gravity of the situation. If you are already familiar with those historical events, a friend of mine was like, saying that um, the movie didn't really do a good job of demonstrating what Black people in Chicago were experiencing or all Black people all across the nation at the hands of police that would cause them to rebel in this way um, and to feel the need to take back their community in this way that the movie didn't really illustrate that. I thought that that was a fair point. Um, he was saying that if you didn't have any of that context, if you didn't know any of that, then some of the things that happened in the movie seem justified, um, which is not something I had even thought about, but it it's, is a fair argument. It's interesting you say that because I was kind of trying to formulate that because there's there's one scene when uh, I, I don't remember his name, um, the guy who ends up in the hospital and then he... Um, Ashton up, Sanders, yeah, and he ends up being killed. Like his first scene, I think his name was Jake Winters. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Palmer. Jimmy, Jimmy Palmer. Palmer. I don't know. I get confused. If, if you look at it from out of context, <laughs> he runs into the store and pulls a gun on the police officers. Right. And I was like, "Oh, what are you doing?" <laughs> like, and I'm, uh, you know, like if you don't know the context, you might be like, "Yo, that guy's wild." Like, you putting a gun at a police officer, like. What did you expect to happen? And but I, I so I'm with you. I think there's a lot of value in the context that's not in the film. But I, but again, like who is who is the movie intended? For? I agree. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, like fair. I don't I don't know that they were making this movie to educate white people. Um, that's fine. That's it fair. Kind, I'm not it, saying and it, it feels was. like I'm not saying you're yeah. wrong. I yeah. think that those are valid concerns about the storytelling and the responsibility that we have to make sure that 
people have all the context they need to be able to to digest it in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't think this movie was for white people. <laughs> and I also, oh. I don't think this movie was meant to tell you about the Black Panthers per se. I think it was to demonstrate what COINTELPRO looked like. Um, and it was a story of the infiltration and the the plotting of the assassination of Fred Hampton and, you know, the informant that was used to do it. I had another friend say that they felt like it didn't really tell the story of the Panthers. And I was like, they didn't sell it to you like that. The trailer yeah. told you. Right. This well, is the, the story of, the of Judas. Yeah. Judas it's not it's not about not. Jesus. The story yeah. is about Judas. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. Um, you know, that's the way that I took it. And so I guess that made some of the things that are potentially short-sighted easier to digest for me just because I'm like, well, this this is a story about how fucked up the FBI is yeah. um, and less about how meaningful the Panthers are. I don't love that, but I can, I can accept it. Well, see, but you know what? To Corey's point, though, I'll say this. That's kind of, if I had one gripe with the film in terms of underdevelopment, it is truly... It is truly carving out and missing the mark of how vile, heinous, and fucking malicious J. Edgar Hoover was. You know, I I, I feel like th- that part of it, if that was the intent, they dropped the ball on that. Because, uh, you know, for for Corey to feel justified, not justified, but to 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 say that a scene like that, um, you know, the scene with Ashton uh, Sanders who I'm starting to like with more properties that I see him with. but I, I still feel the exact has, opposite way. <laughs> see, I, I, I feel like he has a long way to go with acting, but I, I think he's fearless. I think, he, I think he's willing to take it wherever it needs to go. And His I fashion choices of, say that. <laughs> and I think he has a lot of years, to, to a lot of decades to learn that. But um, it, 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 really, it really didn't show the predatory nature of... Uh, J. Edgar Hoover. And I think in that way, in, in sort of that cryptic way that you're talking about, Lizzie, where it's like, it's, it, it's not really there to, to break the mold or give you an education lesson on the Black Panther Party. It also was cryptic in that way when it came to the nuanced things that the FBI was doing. I mean, the scene when they, when they were typing out, when they were typing out like these flyers that they were dropping off, if you weren't closely paying attention to what was happening, you completely missed it. Like, like they hid that in the scene itself. You understand what I'm saying? Like the scene was about something else, but, but they hid that in there and you would really, really only get it if you knew what the deal was or if you were really following the, the film like with no distractions. Well, but I was they, in the they theater, They set it up so. in the next scene, though, with the crowns mm-hmm. he, where he reads the, he reads the flyer. Uh, right i mean so chandler and Corey, did y'all did y'all get that did y'all oh, see yeah. like mm-hmm. no i think yeah. that okay. i thought that was pretty clear i didn't have a problem with that oh shit okay all right did, uh, did, not to, i'm sorry I've, <laughs> not no, no. to like it's not about me being right like it's not about me being right or being wrong it's, you went it's, to the theater too right me no i, I no 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 no, treasy. no 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 i didn't I watched oh so did, did you go to the theater martin was yeah. i the only one who went to the theater yeah i went to the theater i went to the theater too but but did so Mark? I mean uh, Chandler and Corey. Did y'all did y'all understand that? Did y'all understand that this was a tactic that they used a lot? So the- I, I would say, on personal knowledge, yes. Like I I but not specifically. So I 
I definitely, I'm using my own internal knowledge to go, yes, the, the FBI did these really terrible things. And they, if this is one thing that they did, then they probably do this a lot. They do other things, blah, 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 blah. But I, I still feel that it's underdeveloped. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where the line is. Is it showing one act and, and everybody go knowing that they did these terrible things? or actually highlighting all of the things that they did in a more grandiose way. So yes, I did peep it. I saw it. I knew exactly what they were doing. I knew exactly the, you know, pit, you know, they pitted Markham and, uh, uh, Malcolm and Martin. I said, I, I think I started saying Markham. <laughs> but um, and Malcolm and Marie, they were responsible yeah. for Malcolm and Marie's argument. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I just think, I don't know. You know, that that's that's just the million dollar question about biopics sometimes. Is it is it the goal is to educate a broader audience or is it to showcase a slice of something to an audience that's already very familiar with it? I I I'm never gonna have the answer to that. Yeah. So um, I think I mean I to answer your question, Treasy, I I think that the movie gives you enough on this specific point to where I was able to infer that this was a common tactic used by the FBI just by the casualness with which they typed that letter and the fact that uh, nobody seemed surprised when the letter got brought out at that meeting. And it, I think Fred Hampton even has a line where he's like, oh, come on, man, it was the feds that did that. Like, So yeah. I was able to infer that. But I think that on the topic of this whole, you know, who is the movie made for thing, I think what I look for in a biopic is a complete story that would stand on its own in a historical vacuum. So if you watched this movie in 500 years with no understanding of the context, what it still makes sense. And I think this movie would make sense on a character level, but I'm not sure that it builds up the sort of historical context that really appreciate that helps you or the viewer rather appreciate how serious it all was. And so I think that everything that you guys have said is totally right. I don't think that's what the movie's aiming to do. And that's a very valid, like this is, it's trying really hard not to be like a, um, darkest hour or, uh, you know, a Spike Lee's Malcolm X or whatever. Like it's, this is not a, a full uh, retelling of somebody's life. It's a snapshot of, as you guys pointed out at the top of this episode, it's a really small window in time. And it's just a pretty intimate story between like, you know, six or seven people. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a totally valid way to approach it. I, I just, I do think it's interesting that Corey and I, you know, with our obvious cultural background uh, that we come off feeling a certain way. And I wonder if that's going to be like the representative of how, uh, viewers feel and for me that means like at a at the academy awards how are people going to feel on this because so, this thing's coming in hot with the uh, oscar buzz so that was going to be one of my my follow-ups to what you say is that i do completely see value in telling a story this way i think there is a lot of value in inspiring people to learn more and to go out and educate and have conversation and there's a lot of value in just the movie being made in general um, I, I often bring up with films like this, you know, the, if a tree falls in the, in, in a forest and no one's around, you know, like what's, 
if 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 you if the goal I remember I, the director was on the the Breakfast Club the other day and he said he didn't care about awards, you know, which is a very valid point. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get the film out there, I mean, there's also value in getting awards. But if people right. don't understand your film, I, I I don't know, you know, it it's 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 a hard debate, and I think there's a lot of value in 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 both sides and in both ways of telling a story. Right. I tend to agree with Chandler, though. I don't think this movie wants to be the definitive work on the Black Panthers or on Fred Hampton. I think it has a very specific story to tell. And I think that it accomplished that story, but it is not without some failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you need a full a full biopic delivery. I, I just wish maybe the, the context was turned up just a smidge, just this a tiny smidge. smidge. Okay. So, um. Martin Leesy, did y'all have any context of who Bill O'Neill was before this film? No, nah, I never I'd, heard of him. I'd, I'd not him specifically, or or that this is the way that we learn this information. I do remember Eyes on the Prize, and it's funny. I was telling y'all um, in the group how like that came up in conversation as I was having a conversation about someone else's. Um, process of learning about the Panthers, I was looking for um, Vanguard of the Revolution, that independent Liz documentary on the Black Panthers, which um, Chandler, if you want to learn more, I do encourage you to watch that because it gives you a more complete story, not just the Fred Hampton aspects of the Panthers. What was it called? It's called Vanguard of the Revolution. It's called Black Panther colon Vanguard of the Revolution. It's on, if you have Canopy, it's on Canopy. But while I was on Canopy, it's also, it's also on Prime, but you got to pay for it. So, um, while I was on Canopy, I was like, yo, Eyes on the Prize is up here. And I remember being in like middle school. Like it came out when I was like at the end of elementary school. And I remember being in middle school and like every year they'd be like, we're going to watch Eyes on the Prize. You know, like it's February. We're we're wheeling in the cart with the TV. <laughs> so um, that had come up in conversation like earlier that day. So it was really interesting to me. I never knew that there was a sequel series. Um, and I, and I absolutely did not know that this is where that information was disclosed. Mm. Um, and so I did know that there was, I had heard a name of someone who had set him up, but Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't commit that name to memory to be able to Mm -hmm. say like, if you, it's not like, um, hearing certain figures associated with the assassination of a particular figure, like that, that name comes to mind. So, um. No, <laughs> I knew that the person existed. I just didn't know anything about him. Right. Yeah. For me, it was like, you know, the idea of this person, you know, it seems like every, every re- revolution, this is a story of every revolutionary, right? There's always like, there's, there, it seems to be something, you know, or someone or, or an incident um, that kind of infiltrates, you know, the, the, the purpose of the revolution. Um. So I, you know, I was, widely familiar with the concept um but i yeah i had never heard of bill o'neill until you know the, the 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 dwellings of this film sort of uh you know hit the internet the internet and uh and i got a chance to do a little bit of research on my own and i'm I'm with you too i didn't know eyes on the prize was like i didn't even well i didn't even know it you know they had any i've never seen eyes on the prize so i you know i've heard, I've heard people talk about it but i've if never you got seen that it good canopy account it's yeah, worth watching. Well, I, Sit down with CC and watch it. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah, I need to. Ch- I need to check. I on wish. That. I definitely need to check. I wish they had done more with that. That was another thing that I felt was underutilized. I, I wanted to. I, I think showing the real one at the end 
would have been a bit more impactful if we had had a bit more of it with um Lucky um sprinkled throughout. I felt like halfway through the film they just kind of quit. You know. In terms I mean I mean at a certain point I get it like you're you're telling me a story. I don't need you to keep flashing back. <laughs> I, I get know. it. I I think it could have been used and this is maybe the filmmaker in me. I I felt like it could have been used as a creative vessel. I think it could have been used to push the story along. Um I don't know. I I I'm big I on that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I think that that's a that's a very valid way to tackle the story, but I think sometimes when you introduce a framing device like that and it's something you revisit often. It can kind of take viewers out of the the story as you're experiencing it in real yeah. time. What was no, that I... Scorsese movie that kept doing that? Um, his last one, The Irishman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where he oh, kept God. going back to the old home, like random. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but I did like those segments, though. I mean, I, I agree with you. I was just providing a counterpoint, devil's advocate. Oh, it's a Yeah, I mean, in the act, like I watched Eyes on the Prize too. There's actually like not a lot of, um, like he talked, he he provides context to certain stuff, but he's not like very descriptive. Like I don't think it would have helped. Does that he basically much. in that confess the same things here this to this story? Um, yeah, he confessed. Like I think Lakeith said he based his entire like the start of his acting on like this line where. He talked about, um, yeah, that he had provided information to the FBI and he found out that Fred was murdered and he felt bad and he felt angry, but he had to conceal that because he was still like undercover, obviously. So he so there's this um, there's this like dichotomy between him as far as like being a Panther, being in the FBI. And it's even in the interviews, it's like he says we for both like the Panthers and the FBI. Mm. Like he says, even though he's an FBI informant, he says we the FBI, and even though like he was a Black Panther, he says we the Black Panthers. So even to the even till that day in the nineteen ninety, he still was kind of conflicted on it. Mm. But he he tried not to show it. He tried to be very like business wise about it. What what you guys take away about like how do y'all feel about Bill O'Neill overall? In any, I feel sympathetic. Uh, I think. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 conflict and 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 sympathy, I guess, is is sort of where I land on it because the movie goes to great lengths to point out that he was being used and he was sort of being, you know, I mean, not sort of, he was totally being blackmailed and stuck in this situation, so. But he also I mean, used the situation to his advantage. He, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't feel any sympathy for him. You know, it's one thing. That's fair. It's one thing to, and, and I'm not condoning this either. Like you do dirt with someone, and you, one of you gets caught. It's one thing to snitch in that situation to save yourself. Um, I don't, I don't condone that. I think that you know, if you do something wrong and you you're going to be held accountable for it. You just have to wear your part of that. Like every someone else's life doesn't have to be ruined, right? Um, but this is not that. This is not you got in trouble and like you snitched on your homeboy who drove the getaway car. This is you right. like purposely going in 
and aiding in the destruction of another person's life who is actually doing something positive in your community to save yourself over some bullshit that you actually did. Um, nobody, nobody made him do those things. And I see that as like very different from choices that like the average person has to make. So I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for him. Mm. Um, That's a better take than mine. Yeah, for me, I guess I would. I, I don't um, think it's a better take than yours. I just, I mean, you're entitled to feel how you feel about Bill O'Neill. I just don't have any sympathy for I him. I don't know because... how I feel about it. I'd like to rescind my comments. <laughs> <from my position. laughs> yeah. But I, I just that t- you you understand what I'm saying though. Like we we know people who yeah, have done things and gotten in trouble, and and maybe they didn't snitch, maybe they did, but like that is completely different. You know, like we're all in the room and we did something wrong. That's completely different than like befriending people to incite their demise and someone dying because you couldn't take the consequences of some shit that you actually did. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think uh, for me, this movie, Lakeith's performance is like really interesting because in real life, I think wild Bill was like a really wild dude. Like he, apparently he wasn't like that good of an informant. I guess if they weren't all like kids, somebody would probably figure him out. Cause he would always be trying to get them to do like, more and more violent stuff and he was just a wild dude but i guess in this movie i kind of it lakeith's performance is so good that i kind of i sympathize with him because i see certain scenes and i'm like i know that guy like the the scene where he's in class and he's trying to holler at the girl in class or whatever it's like i know a dude like that right. with a scene where they're in the uh bar and he picks up the um pull stick and is about to scrap like i know people like that so it's like I, I could recognize him and other people, even though even though he does horrible things and even though he sells out his own people, I could kind of see people like that that I grew up with. And I, it's hard for me to just outright hate them. Yeah. I don't hate them. I just don't feel sorry for them. Yeah. See, for me, the age is the sticky point for it, man. Like, yeah. you know, 17, when you, when, you, when you, you know, a lot of times we talk about how, um, you know, one of the one of the one of the things when it comes to like the history of our people, man, uh, the history of black people is n- not being afforded the opportunity to make mistakes, you know, um, b- being judged, you know, people being tried as adults when they're teenagers, you know, and then the actual uh, then you have, you know, grown men, grown white men that actually do something. And then there's a lot of excuses that are made for them. Oh, they were just kids. They're just college kids. At 37. Just, you know what I'm saying? So, so the, the age becomes a sticky point for me. And, and I don't want to use the word sympathize because I don't sympathize with his specific situation, but I do sympathize. I do understand. I, I have been in over my head in a situation before where you know you older than him right where you're like fuck i'm in over my head and you you don't realize it till you're in the middle of the tunnel you know so i have been there and then i have most definitely made mistakes um not to this magnitude i don't think i've ever made a mistake that's got anybody murdered um you know what i mean but i've made mistakes uh that i'm definitely not proud of in my lifetime and then on and then part of what i look at too is that the FBI was on a mission, right? So if it wasn't Bill O'Neill, it was going to be somebody else, you know, that got him in. It, it's, it's not like um, Bill didn't do anything to get him killed, right? Like he aided in 
a mission that was already set in motion. And, and to me, there's a little bit of a difference there, right? Like he didn't, he didn't get him to do something. He tried, he tried, right? But, but, but fucking, you know, um, uh, Fred Hampton was too smart with the whole bombing and, 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 you know, city hall and all of that, that, you know, that, that to me was like the real scene where I was like, oh, fuck, this, this kid is a little crazy. Like he's a little too excessive uh, and not really with the people. But the, the word sympathize is probably too strong left for me. But there's somewhere, there's a word that is a little bit more to the right that I do feel um, for the Bill O'Neill's of the world that like make a mistake based upon. It was clear that he was, he was, he was a victim I don't of like poverty. this word mistake. Because mistake implies intention. He didn't have good intentions. So, like, I don't like that. It's, it wasn't an accident. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, oh, it was a mistake. Like, I didn't know. I, I, you know what was being asked of you. Um, now, I do say that I agree with you about the age thing. I think that there is a big difference in the way that somebody who's 17 processes mm -hmm. situations as opposed to someone now my age who processes a situation there should be a vast difference in that and i i i don't sympathize or empathize but i do understand how he could end up in that situation there you go um don't i don't respect that... it though like no part of me feels like there that it should be excused i guess oh on the on the note excuse. of the, the ages of these characters both of these actors are way too old to be playing the characters yeah. that they are. <laughs> right. And I think that um, I did know that from my prior research that Fred Hampton was only 21. Mm -hmm. And I think that, look, you got two incredibly strong actors, two of my favorite actors, especially Lakeith Stanfield. And I think on the, what Martin was saying, like, I think that's maybe a lot of the reason why I felt so drawn to him, just because I feel. I feel really connected to Lakeith as a performer, but this is a different story with these guys who are around 30 years old playing these guys than if you had two younger actors around 20 years old. Yeah. It, and it, that might be influencing the movie in so many ways that you just don't even really think about just because it's, it, you know, we, we made this casting decision, but if you had two younger actors here, this movie could feel completely different with the same script and the same cuts and everything. Yeah. I think now's a good time to talk about performances. And I do think that you make a good point with the, the age difference in the actors that are cast. Um, it kind of bothers me a little more with Lakeith than it does with Daniel because Fred Hampton to see him on camera does not feel 21 at 21. He doesn't feel, he feels much older than he was to me. You're talking about in real life. Right? In real yeah. life. Yes. He, he didn't yes. feel 21. Like, he so if you, if you saw him and in, in the way that Daniel looks, there's not a huge gap there. Right. Um, okay. I seriously doubt Bill O'Neill looked as old as Lakeith though, if we're being fair. Um, but what, what I have opinions <laughs> Um, I'm not mad at Daniel's performance so much as some aspects of it that I feel like he could have reeled in, but this is another situation where Afro-British actors, <laughs> um, okay. where, and again, like, I feel like if there were several Fred Hamptons, maybe we get Daniel's Fred Hampton, but this first one, so I don't 
I don't love it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it didn't, it didn't. I, I, I get your, I get your gripe with it, Lizzie. I truly do. Um, it doesn't and, bother me as much. You know, I, I think, um, it bothers me more when the performance is terrible, right? Like I, like it bothered me more in Selma. I didn't, cause I didn't think, oh, oh, oh yeah, Oyelowo. oh, oh, yellow, oh, yellow, yeah, I can't, I can't. No, it's it's Oyelowo, and it's um. Why can I not think? I know her damn name. Carmen. They're Carmen both, yeah. yeah, Carmen Ajogo and David Oyelowo are both Afro-British. And I'm right. like, God damn. And she played her twice. So I'm like, God damn. Like, well, see, no black me. woman can play Karata Jesus. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it bothers me more with that because I didn't particularly care for his performance and his portrayal of, of Martin. It, I, it didn't, I didn't feel it. See, I felt, I felt Kaluuya's performance. Um, you know, the speeches, man, the speeches were like, man, they were, I I mean, listen, man, if, if you turn that thing off and go straight to like a, a YouTube speech, you know, YouTube clip of Fred Hampton speaking, like he did that, man. He worked, he must've worked with an amazing dialect coach to hmm. really, to really nail that. To me, it, it, it felt authentic. Um, I, felt I thought like- it was a very big accent. I it mean, was ha- well. It was very big. Yes. Do you know? Just, do you know someone with that accent, though? Uh, I not that I can pin down, and, I, and also I haven't heard a lot of footage of of a uh, Fred Hampton actually speaking. But knowing that Kaluuya is British, you know, when you hear Brits do Southern accents, they tend to go like really, really big. And uh, I don't know if this is really Massive. a Southern accent, but it's it a- is. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, Chicago. Some people from Chicago have a draw, and I, I, it's like I have a friend. Shout out to UTO. I know you probably aren't listening to this, but like when I met him and he was talking, I was like, "Where are you from?" He's like, "Chicago." I'm like, "Yo, <laughs> what is that?" And it's a very similar thing. Like their families are Southern, but they've kept the accent even though they've moved to the Midwest. I, I will say this: like I wasn't mad at it. But it definitely felt like he was trying really hard. It did not seem natural. Like, you know, me watching watching him as Chris in Get Out or as, I don't remember, was his name Ernest in Queen and Slim? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember either. I'd, I guess because it's very specific in this movie, it didn't, in those movies, I don't, I don't hear him talking and go, you're working really hard at that. He did seem really, I, I wasn't mad at it, but like at no point did I forget that that was Daniel. Yeah, and I guess in comparison to Fred, like he was very like cool and effortless when he talks. Mm-hmm. Like it's not jive, but it, at the same time, like he's he's very articulate and he get he could get, it, get his point across without doing like this scratchy voice thing that uh, Daniel Kaluuya is doing. Mm-hmm. He like I felt like he was preaching a lot, and I did like Fred. Like you said, Fred was cool. Like he yeah. he wasn't. He could give you a speech, and you definitely felt that in the pit of your stomach. But it didn't feel like Southern Baptist screaming minister. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What about that? Uh, I don't. For lack of a better term, that fat suit they had on under his t-shirts and stuff. I found that a little distracting. I don't know that it was a fat suit. His fat face suit was pretty fat. Yeah. <laughs> he looked. He just that. looked like he had gained a bunch of weight to me. I don't think he gained all that weight. No way. You never know. His I face mean... was huge. <laughs> so I don't. He may have had on a fat suit, but I'll like he actually had gained some weight too. Maybe. Maybe I'm misinformed. I tell. You, I like the scene where um when they left the uh 
when they left the pool hall, when they, you know, after they went back, they were trying to recruit at the pool hall and, um, and they gave him, you know, they gave Bill O'Neill the, the Wild Bill name, mm-hmm. like the way that he reacted. And, wild Bill, well, I told you they called, you know, like I, I really liked that scene, like the way that he played that scene. I felt like that was very cool, very authentic, um, uh, you know, just very endearing, uh, yeah. even though what they were talking about was, you know, adjacent to uh, some sort of, um, uh, you know, some sort of violence or whatever that that was happening, but just the way they played it, it felt very cool, very genuine. I like when he's laying in the bed with um, Dominique Fishback. Is that her name? Yeah, yeah and Fishback. and she's like, "Your feet are cold." <laughs> he was like, "Your feet cold too." It's socialism. This is how we gonna get warm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Dang, that was so G." Yeah, that was hard. I liked that. That was good. What were you about to say though, Martin? I think you. Oh, um, shoot, I totally forgot now. So, all right, Jesse Plemons, this Roy Mitchell character, um, th- this this is the part that I don't think about that much, right? Like, I like I like I never think about the individual police officers. Like in, in this way, they all seem the same to me, right? Like they all kind of look the same. They don't really have any personal identity. They're just this, you know. Uh, these fucking, you know, they move in one direction. It's just the, you know, get the Negro off the street or whatever the case may be. Kill the Negro. Uh, they're the enemy or, you know, just they kind of represent, I guess, what, kind of, you know, Trump supporters are to me um, to a certain degree. People that are just like mindless. Um, they move by the beat of somebody else's drum. Um, you think Mitchell is that? No, no. This, th- this to me, this to me made his character very interesting. Um, because he seemed to be just as manipulative. He seemed to be very intelligent, very manipulative, but also there was a sense of, um, there was a sense of, I don't want to say oppression that was happening on his side, but he seemed to, he okay. Hoover to me hated black people, right? I didn't, I didn't gauge Roy Mitchell's the, the Roy Mitchell character is hating black people as much as um as much as following orders and being a part of this this structure like I I didn't I didn't get a sensibility of like how he felt that much about black people he had a stereotypes but I don't feel like that was embedded in his heart I feel yeah, like that I mean, was just. I don't you know think what he, I'm saying? he didn't think they were equal, obviously, because he said, "Yeah, you can't cheat your way to equality." When he was talking to, um, talking he, to William O'Neill, that, that's a fact. For me, he kind of represented uh, the people that 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 kind of go all lives matter. You know, when you right. respond to Black Lives Matter, yeah, or the people that don't quite understand why it's important to have you know uh you know the the white people that go well why do black people all of a sudden get a movie or or why why does you know a character need to be black now you know what i mean because they don't they don't understand that this is marginalized and that it's important you know that it's very literal and not literal black and white yeah and i mean he said it in the beginning he was like you know the kid the clan I'm the other side of the coin and I'm looking at this group, which 
he feels is doing violence, is doing is being aggressive and is causing problems. It's, I mean, I've heard it from radical white people. They're, you know, that they interpret this as like reverse racism and which is complete nonsense. But I think a lot of more modern white people tend to believe that the playing field is level. So when you're when you're shouting Black Lives Matter and you're you're doing these things, they just look at it as, oh, that's aggressive. Why are you doing that? Everything is equal. Why are you doing that? You know what I mean? And so I, I kind of put his character as that character that represents mm-hmm. that. You know, it's a very plain view of what's going on and without context of the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. So I've heard this the other side of the coin from not radical white people, from very regular white people, just because they've accepted the narrative that's been put into the mainstream. And there's not they don't care to educate themselves to find anything else different. Yeah. There's just there's a side of the argument they they've chosen to be on that side and not empathize. Whereas like I don't I don't think that that's true of like black people like I don't want to see cops die unnecessarily like I think that I can empathize with an individual police officer while still having critique of the institution of policing. Yeah. Um and still see them as human beings and not this concept like you understand what i'm saying yeah but do, do you think that's the vantage point that that you have being being the oppressed the marginalized yes like, is that the perspective that that i mean that's yeah. the that's the i mean i don't want to call myself oppressed i i I'm come from a culture that's marginalized sure but like yes that is that's my vantage point because i'm having a completely different experience right and i don't i don't have to i don't have to I don't have to uphold one thing to respect myself. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, that's a fact. There, there's, and I, and it's weird to me because there's no, there, what is the benefit of you picking that side and staying on it? Yeah. Like, what, why? Like, I don't get that. Like, I think about someone like Corey who has worked closely with law enforcement who doesn't feel that way. And I'm like, these are people that you're with all the time. And you're able to have some nuance about the situation to say, like, okay, this is your perspective. But those people that you know have something to actually protect. I'm talking about people who don't work in law enforcement, who are just so rigid on their perspective. It's very strange to me. Yeah, and well, and because they're so rigid, they interpret your position on the other side of that as also being rigid. I'm like, no, it's really not. Like, I don't I have cops in my family, too. I don't want to see anything happen to them. Like, you know what I mean? It's really strange. But I do piggyback on that. You know, it's. I do get frustrated when I I hear those things nowadays. So, I mean, I I do think that character is very deliberate, you know, that I I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think he hated black people. I think he was going, you know what? I'm looking at the world from a very flat perspective and and, and I'm here to uphold the law and I'm here to do this mission. Because, I mean, when, when Hoover asked him about his daughter, I mean, he was visibly uncomfortable and visibly trying to change the subject because right. it, it had no relevance to his law enforcement, you know, or at least it, it appeared to me that it had no relevance to how he planned on in, enforcing law, you know, or tactics of sure uh, of criminal, you know. So if, just if I can interject there, that, that to me was, a, was, again, a cryptic sort of shot to just how to how like omnipresent or like how micro 
um, how like micro obsessive um, Hoover was. You know, he he knows every detail about everything and everybody. You know, um, so to talk about your daughter and your, I don't I don't take I don't take Hoover as have having dinner have had dinner at Roy Mitchell's house to understand or to know who his daughter and his wife and and all these all his children are. I take it as I have this information because I'm Hoover. And that's what I'm asking about. So that so that's how I interpreted the uncomfortableness is like like yo like you don't know them. Like what do you what are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? Just uh-huh. I, just that this man has information on everybody and this is how it comes out in casual conversation I, and it can feel threatening in a in a certain way i think that that is like the age-old trope of him trying to invoke fear like the imagery of like if if we don't kill this man a black man's gonna fuck your white daughter like that's what's mm. been used to scare white people since birth of a nation <laughs> So like he was just doing that. He was doing something that he knew would work. Like, I need you to get on board with Mm -hmm. what we're doing here. And so I'm going to put in your face what actually will scare you. The idea of a a black man fucking your daughter. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what's at stake here. That's a a hell of a perspective. I agree with it, but I don't think it's I don't think that worked on him. I, I, I think that. The tactic and why Hoover used it is very that it's very justified. I think that makes sense for the type of person Hoover was. But I don't think Fat Damon's character. I don't think he was. I don't think he was scared by that. I think he was more scared of Hoover, and then he was also more scared of like. I think he realized he was going down a dark path because earlier in the film too, he referenced the other informant about how he was like, so we just gonna, we're just gonna let FBI informants murder each other. Like he, he referenced that earlier with the, the other guy from the other, um, chapter. Right. Yeah. So like, I, I saw that as a conflict that he was like, I mean, I know what I'm doing, but we letting people get away with murder now, which don't get me wrong. I totally understand the FBI murdering Fred Hampton getting, you know, but like, I felt like he, I, it was a threat to what he thought policing was. Mm. I think that's what I felt like that was a threat. And then Hoover represented a threat too. But I, I, I still think it was slightly underdeveloped at the same time. So I, I, I agree with you, Corey. I think that, I think, first off, I got a sidebar about Jesse Plemons on Breaking Bad when he was very young, resembled Matt Damon. So people started calling him Meth. Damon, because that <laughs> is what that show is about. And then Jesse Plemons gained quite a bit of weight. No longer looks like Matt Damon, but now the name has just transformed into Fat Damon. I think it's very fun. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, I think that his character and where he lays on the spectrum in this movie is like where a lot of quote unquote decent white people lie. Where they don't have anything against black people. They don't see themselves as racist. They think that they're this impartial, objective viewpoint on the whole thing. So Jesse Plemons is viewing this, you know, black and white in terms of the law, and not understanding that the very institution he's participating in 
is contributing to the oppression of these people. And I think that a lot of white people, the type of white people who saw the riots, um, you know, and, and everything that happened after George Floyd and also the same thing every other time this has happened in history, the type of white people who see that on the news and say, well, that's a shame. You know, that that's not the way you go about things. That's not the way to do it. Oh, I support equality, but you don't go breaking into, you know, innocent small business owners' uh, establishments to try to win. You know, it, this is this is party line stuff. It's been repeated and repeated for decades. That's the kind of guy that Jesse Plemons is mm-hmm. in this movie. So I don't. I liked his character a lot. I appreciated the scenes where they sort of showed the complexity to him mm-hmm. because I think Hoover. Um, as Lizzie mentioned earlier, he is sort of mustache twirly in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that it actually makes it more powerful if you point out that not everybody had this agenda to go and eradicate powerful black men. There you go. But that's what ended up happening anyway. That's the byproduct. That's sort of, that's, thank you for, you put a bow on that perfectly, what I was trying to say when I introduced it, is that not everybody was everybody you know these people were complicit that's for sure but everybody's agenda wasn't equal um on, on that side of the coin um and just to sort of harken back to something we we you know we did our our one time in Miami episode and or one night in Miami excuse me <laughs> hey yo this one time in Miami <laughs> <laughs> and and we right, spent so the, boom <laughs> we spent we spent a lot of time talking about uh the scene with Bo Bridges and um and uh you know uh Aldous Hodge uh you know Jim who Brown was, who was mm-hmm. Jim Brown uh about you know on the porch and not being let into the house so when Roy Mitchell let Bill O'Neill into his house and then you know and sort of hey say how you know this is my daughter sort of made that introduction you know was putting you know dogs on the grill and wanted to get them uh, you know, you know, hey, this is the good whiskey over here, the good scotch or whatever. Help yourself, which is very inviting to him. I can see how that would be impressionable on on somebody like Bill O'Neill, um, um, to 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 say, damn, like there there's there you know, there's some there's some genuine effort here, mm-hmm. right? Like because we've seen what the other side of that coin looks like. I don't even let niggas in my motherfucking house. You know, y'all, y'all not even well, good enough to step foot in the house. I, I think the impression made was what the things, the material things he had, because he tries to tell him he was like, "Yeah, I, I worked this case in Mississippi where these kids were killed for like, for um getting people to vote." And he and Lakeith was like, "Yo, fuck all that bullshit. How can I get some more money? Like, right. that's what I really want to know about. I don't, I don't care about like when he when he asked him about Dr. King, he was like, "I mean, I guess like." He was yeah. totally apolitical in this movie. Yeah. And he even what? asked him directly, like, how much do you make? You know, I yeah. mean, and the, and the last time they were together, what he, not one of the last times, but uh, he had with the sunglasses on and the suit, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, I think they definitely made a point to showcase that he was about money and he was about advancing himself. Sure. So. Well, and, 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 and that kind of goes along with, um, you know, I think the message of, um, you know, the message of uh, of Fred Hampton, right? Like, he was, I think he was, 
I don't want to fully say anti-capitalism, but obviously he stands for socialism in this. And then Bill O'Neill stands for the capitalistic society that I, I think um, Fred Hampton is making an effort to fight against uh, because it see, he sees the destruction that it does within the communities and the way it pits people against each other. So obviously, you know, that was a whole that was a whole ploy. That was a, a you know, a plot vehicle for this. Um, the symbolism of what Bill O'Neill actually stood for being capitalist. And I, I think capitalist. I think Fred actually got to Bill O'Neill, I mean, towards the end, even in that last conversation he has with Mitchell, because Mitchell doesn't blackmail him with the same old, like, I'm going to give you five years for this and one year for this. Mm-hmm. At the end, he was like, what's going to happen to you if I tell them that you're a snitch? Right. It, it's not about him doing time anymore. Like, that's not a big enough carrot for him to, like, do what he needs him to do. So he just, he blackmails him with death. So, I mean, I think for him to have to do that, Fred had to get to him in some sort of way. Fred had to change his mind about some things or his identity in some sort of way. Well, that's that whole performance choice when he's at that party the night before, right? And decides to poison the drink. I mean, he's clearly very conflicted. It's like, it's the, seems like the hardest choice he's ever had to make. He's definitely not walking out of that party feeling like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a sweet payout from the FBI for this. I mean, at that point, it seems like all the, all the, uh, the gold has, has worn off at that point. And he, and he, he's really starting to realize just what he's done. Yeah. It's like, like the hunchback in, uh, in 300 <laughs> when, when, he, uh-huh. when he sees them all getting wiped out. And he's just like, oh, you know, just kind of that reflection, that reflective moment of like, you know, my bruised ego and, you know, my need to feel a certain thing uh, really caused all this damage. Um, and it was cool seeing uh, Jermaine Fowler and Lil Rel Howery, too. Good little Lil cameos, Bit right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like I like Lil Rel's cameo pretty yeah. uh, a, a lot in this, man, you know. He was good. He was good, yeah. And I, it, it, he's from Chicago, too, right, Lil Rel? Yeah. yeah, I think so. so. I, th- I, th- th- yeah, I yeah, thought that yeah. was cool too. To, to you know, the, I think he said he um he lived like close to that neighborhood where uh, Fred Hampton was shot. I would imagine. So his uncle used to take him by there all the time, or his dad did. Yeah, that's wild, man. Um, can we talk about the relationship between Deborah and Fred Hampton, man? I I like t- that was. I loved it, man. I you know. You know, I didn't know the most about Fred Hampton, so obviously, you know his his. Uh, she wasn't his fiance, right? He he didn't. They didn't get that far, right? It was just his, just his girlfriend at this point. I, I believe, believe so. so. Yeah. Okay, so you know, seeing I, I knew even less about her, you know, um, you know, so just seeing Dominique Fishback sort of give this character uh, a presence, um. It, I, th- I thought it was really good, man. Obviously, she was a good compliment, a good compliment to who Fred Hampton was. She was just as involved and invested in the struggle as he was. You know, they both listened to, you know, uh, vinyl audio recordings of Malcolm X and his speeches, and I, I thought that that was a really dope way to portray uh, a sensibility of love born within a revolution. Um, did you have any takes on that, Lizzie, on their um. relationship? It's really interesting, though, because so many people think about, like, 
a time like that as being like so full of struggle and like when does anyone have time for joy or happiness or love? Um, and I love how they came together. And I think it humanized him even more that, you know, he's not this um, mythical creature. He was a full person um, and experienced the fullness of life. So I really did enjoy seeing them connect. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love that um, the women that they featured here were like all very proud featured women. Like I, it wasn't a bunch of like skinny, light skinned girls with little teeny faces mm-hmm. <laughs> running around. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I kind of enjoy that too. I, I like, uh, I like depictions of desirability in black people, not just black women who are not, um, Aligned with a Eurocentric beauty paradigm, that we can we can find beauty in the traditional Africanness of our physical nature. So I I really enjoyed seeing that. Mm-hmm. Well put, well put. Um, did did that did that did did any of that resonate with any of y'all as well? I thought it was certainly. A, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. I thought it was a pleasant description. Uh, you know, relationship. I uh, I, I don't know. I thought I thought they did a very good job with it. I, I think that it was one of those things that it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to watch the two of them. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's from the Fred Hampton perspective or just the two of them being great actors. Um, they they just did really well together. I really yeah. liked it. Yeah, Deborah Johnson did. consulted on the film. Like the the assassination scene is like mm. almost exactly what she described. So mm. I, I I tend to lean towards like those conversations as being things that, you know, were intimate to her that she shared with the public. That's what, that's what it felt like. It felt like every scene that they did was very special. You know, it, it, you know, it felt very intimate, very special. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that these would be very pivotal scenes. So it felt important to see her. Well, me and you been, Treasy, been watching her since like the deuce. Yeah. And she always had this quality of like, even though she was playing like a prostitute, she had this quality of like, you wanted to see her when you wanted to see her protected at all times. Absolutely. I think that's definitely what she is in this movie, especially because she's pregnant. Like you, you know, she's in a tough spot. Like when she talks about the poem and about, is she a bad mother for being in this group or being around him because she knows how it's going to end. That was powerful, man. That, yeah, the, yeah the, the very subtle, very subtle. Uh, kudos to, you know, the script in that way. Kudos to the performance in that way. Because that was such a big moment, man. You know, him reading these personal writings of hers that are that are giving all of the vulnerability. Um, and then protecting that, right? Like, I mean, you know, I, I would imagine that it's probably extremely hard to understand as a man, right? That it's very hard to understand how a how a mother or a woman would be hard on herself about being a mother, you know, especially before the baby's even born. You know, I I don't think a man can really tap into how much that weighs on a woman. Um, but I feel like Fred Hampton in that moment, the portrayal of that moment, he did his best to honor it. You know, um. Uh, to like you said, to protect her, to to you know, to to reassure her, and I just thought that that was a very you know, just keeping on with the theme of subtlety in this film. Um, that was a very subtle way to portray such a big thing that that happens probably in 
you know, in every pregnancy for every woman um, that we don't really hear about that part that we don't ever hear about as men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, even I, I thought it was such a big conversation, even though it was little to no conversation, how she revealed he was pregnant, she was pregnant and how he reacted to that when he was coming out of jail and, and, you know, they, he hugged her and then he pulled back and, she, it, and then opened up her shirt. It was, you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. then it, you know, and she kind of played it like, all right, nigga, like this could go one of two ways and I'm preparing myself for the hard way. And then she saw his reaction and she, and she lit up, you know, like, cause that's a tough conversation too, right? Like I would imagine as a, as a, I mean, Lizzie, you're a woman that has been pregnant. Like, is that a tough conversation? You know, assume, you know, and this is me making an assumption that your child wasn't planned, which, you know, my child. That is a very complicated conversation. And yes, it is scary. Full stop. That's all I want to share. Okay, there you go. (laughs) There you go. So, and and I think that's a thing that gets underplayed a lot um, is how emotional that is. Um, um, Yeah. And especially in a story like this. Man, he was fucking, tw- these were children, man. 21? I, I often talk about like Biggie and Pac being like 24, 25, 26, whatever. And you know, me me not grasping, me still looking at old Biggie and Pac footage and still looking at them as my superiors, right? Like com- forgetting that I'm like 14 years older than Biggie when he died, you know? Um, But Fred Hampton was three years younger than Biggie, man. And this shit is mind blowing to me, man, because at 21 leading a revolution or, you know, somebody giving me money and then me turn, handing it to somebody else to start a medical clinic, that ain't in, that, that ain't in the fucking cards at 21 for me. If you handed me a pile of money, I'm thinking about, you know, at that time, where, what trip am I going to take? How many DVDs I'm going to buy? I was never a shoe. I was never a shoe nigga. So I wouldn't be like, what kind of shoes am I going to buy? But I'm I'm thinking of all the ways I can spend that money on me. But to see that brother take an envelope of money that was given to him, you know, and to basically flee the country or flee whatever, to turn and to hand that and to make good on a promise that he made to um to uh, Jake Winter's mother, I, I man, if he, the, he is the fucking depiction of integrity, um, of a pillar of strength. And I'm just glad that they made some of these choices, whether or not they were real. Like, that's the part I don't know. But I'm glad that they made these choices in these films, man, because this guy, you know, just on the flip side of me talking about how young Bill O'Neill was, Fred Hampton wasn't too much older and was faced with some of the same decisions about taking time, you know, jail time and making a completely different choice than Bill O'Neill. So those are the things that keep me from completely being sympathetic to Bill O'Neill is that we have, we didn't have to look to another character in another film or another character in history. They're right there in the same story that made two different decisions given the same set of, uh, the same set of circumstances. You know, I think that that goes back to the conversation about capitalism versus socialism. Like Bill O'Neill was looking out for himself Mm -hmm. and Fred Hampton was wanting, was looking out for all black people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that sense of community that like, we have to take care of each other. And it's not about the I, it's about the we. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he knew he was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to die this way. I know that I'm going to go out this way. And I like, what an honor it is Mm -hmm. to have served my people. Cause I love you. 
right. if you had to spend two hours talking with either Bill O'Neill or Bill O'Reilly, which one would you pick? <laughs> I'd pick Bill O'Neill, fool. Yeah, O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> if 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 I should even dignify that with an answer, I'd pick Bill O'Neill. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. To, okay. You know, how do you feel yeah. about his um statement at the end about how most people are gonna judge him and but they stood on the sidelines or they weren't really a part of like what he was a part of, but he was. Man, go to hell. Yeah, I think that's shit that you say. Yeah. I think that's shit that people say when they know that their contribution to anything was was nil was was completely nil. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the shit that you say when somebody can't verify it. You know, like they're mm. like there was a there was a time and I remember in high school you know, after graduating high school and going to college, there were certain people that like, you would see them, like you would go visit another college campus and you would see this person and they would be completely different than what they were in high school. Like they were just, they were, they were, they were next to nobody in high school, but now they're in college, they're the man and they got people convinced that they were this, that they were that. That's what that represented to me, man. Like, you know, how he's a hero in his own story. He, yeah, man. Yeah, how easy it is for you to say shit like that when it's unverifiable at a certain time, you know. Um, but now in the information age, man, you look like a straight sucker, man. Like a straight sucker. Um, so yeah, that that's that on that as far as I'm concerned. Um, I did <laughs> something came across my lap, and you know, like I shared it with y'all, and it's not like verifiable, but I thought it was really interesting that um I came across a thread where someone who was active in Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party allegedly mm-hmm. um, has alleged that Bill O'Neill did not commit suicide and that he's in witness protection <laughs> um. What do you think about the possibility that obviously, like, it's not something that I strongly believe or strongly disbelieve? Right. But, like, what do you think about that? I, I'm I not think... sold based on that post you shared. Well, obviously yeah. not, because it's I'm just it's it's, it's just somebody posting something, right? Right. It's like somebody posting something about what their pops said about something that happened 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's a far-fetched concept, but... The person who shared it with me was from Chicago, so I'm inclined to believe that that person is also from Chicago. So I don't know how reliable of a source that is, obviously, and I can't. There, I don't have anything to verify it against. But the, the like the the idea that like that could be the situation is, if nothing else, is interesting to me. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that's you know, you know, I, that, that's kind of like you know people still saying pockets in Cuba. You know, like, why though? For what? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this, this is just, way more believable than that. <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. You know, but, but at the same time. At the same plausible, time, I'll say. Like it's plausible, but I also at the same time I don't see, I don't I don't see the benefit of the government spending X amount of money to secure the safety of somebody who doesn't really have any validity to them anymore. They you don't have any usefulness saying? to them anymore. Usefulness, yet. yeah, that's what I mean. So, so that that's the part of it to me that's like, you know, how does that work, like? The documentary comes out and you make a call to FBI. I need to be protected. Y'all gotta protect me. People go, and he's he's already implicated them. Like, yeah. So it's uh, you know that's kind of to but me. I just I thought, I thought it was interesting, like the possibility that this person maybe didn't commit suicide. Like you know, 
Yeah. There, I mean, there's there's stories of people committing suicide, and we know that what was a uh, kill the messenger? Like he didn't shoot himself twice in the head. No one can do that. Right. So, so right. like, was it Gary Webb? Like Gary, Gary Webb didn't Webb, kill yeah. himself. Like Fun you know what fact, I mean? Fact: The DP of this film was the DP for Kill the Messenger. Oh, okay. oh was it Sean Bobbitt, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Sean yeah. Bobbitt. He he he's got a nice little portfolio. Did he do? Did he do Get Out? I do not know. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I guess that's something that we could look up if he did get out or not. Um, all in all, man, I really enjoyed this film. I I truly enjoyed this film, and I think for the reasons that you guys stated um, at the top, which is it didn't it plays out like a good, um, you know, high strung drama, uh, you know, centered around a revolutionary, as opposed to a biopic. Um, you know, where we have to kind of just sit in a timeline of somebody's life. Uh, they, I think they took, you know, I'm not going to say the most exciting because I think that's disrespectful to say, but they took a very, they, they took a very um, action packed year and, and really honed in on the people that were involved in this one thing, um, in this one incident, which is the taking of, of Chairman Fred Hampton's life. Um, which was they depicted that harrowing man like a, I almost shed tears man on the assassination scene. I definitely uh, just, cried. It's, it's different it, in a theater. Yeah, man. It's it, the way they the the way they photographed that man and sort of the stillness that happened before the two shots and the fact that she has to sit there in close proximity and hold a poker face because because it's you know it's not unexpected, but. I don't know, man. Just all the emotion that went into that. She's stronger than I could ever be. Uh, I'd probably just go into a shell and never come out for the rest of my life if something like that ever happened to me. But, um, yeah, man. So uh, that's where I stand on the film. Um, I, f- I feel like I feel like we're leaving so much out, man. Is 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 there anything else that is there anything else worth mentioning or worth covering here? I don't. I don't think so, man. I. You know, I, I I feel like we've hit on everything. Ultimately, what what's left to debate? You know, this movie lays it out clear, man, and it's got expert level filmmaking, mm-hmm. and it's got incredible performances, timeless performances. I think the only place that is really a gray area when you're discussing this movie is from a screenplay angle. What what is the validity of the approach that it chooses. And we've, we've spent a good amount of time digging into that. Um, and I've really enjoyed hearing you guys' thoughts about it. You know, I, Tracy, I really thought this movie was really, really good too. Um, my anticipation was so high that I think ultimately I'm coming away a little bit let down when I'm weighing it against what I wanted from it. But that doesn't mean that I think it's a bad movie. I think it's a tremendous movie. It's really, really strong. And um, I'm definitely going to be recommending it to people. Nice. Nice. I, I, I will say, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying this. Um, I think when I look at, you know, Ryan Coogler was obviously a hand that, that a very forceful hand in getting this done. Um, I can't imagine how good it feels to be a filmmaker from Oakland, California, the birth of the Black Panther Party, and to have his hands in properties you know when you you know the fred hampton story and then you know coming off of a film titled black panther that was obviously inspired by 
um, you know, the, the, the works that uh, Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton sort of created. I'm, and when I say inspired, I say that loosely because I don't know much about the Black Panther comic. I just can't imagine that you would call it Black Panther. No, it was uh, actually. I think it was before it, the Black it Panther was before movement. It. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, so let me shut up then. Um, Very prescient move by uh, Marvel Comics. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but, but still, man, I just can't imagine how it feels to be Ryan Coogler to have license to tell these stories. I can't imagine that this is going to be the last piece of thing, uh, the last piece of film that, uh, that honors anybody that was part of the Black Panther movement. I would imagine that he's probably spawning some sort of, um, I, I don't want to say franchise, but I think he's making himself a receptor to these, to these conversations and maybe putting himself in the position to get more films like this greenlit that are telling the story of where he comes from you know something that was birthed from where he comes from i should say i want to see him do move that's what i want to see him do (laughs) i can Um, see that yeah Yeah. but who knows if it'll all if it'll ever happen but like that's that's what i want from him yeah i can see that i can see that and then um um there was one more thing that i was going to point out yeah, I'm definitely to, looking forward to more stuff from Shaka King. I kind of want to go back and look at his uh, filmography. Yeah, I don't know too much about Shaka, but um, no, he did a film called Newlyweeds, but I had heard about it, but I never watched it. But it's like mm-hmm. a he, he's done some TV episodes too. I think he directed a couple episodes, or maybe he just wrote a couple episodes of that HBO show called High Maintenance. Oh, okay, um, okay, which is like there's a lot of young, up and coming filmmakers that have worked on that. So, so between- oh, and also this was there was the screenplay. Uh, you had mentioned Martin. What's well, the the Lucas Brothers? Lucas who are Brothers, yeah, mm-hmm. big comedy guys, and they this film is a combination of uh, their version of the screenplay. They have a story by credit here, mm-hmm. and then there was another version uh, by Will Burson, um, and they were kind of circulating around Hollywood simultaneously. And then they both kind of got combined into the movie that ended up being this film. Nice. Um, but it's pretty cool to see those guys who were on like Broad City and like a bunch of like dumb comedy shows, like, you know, have a story by credit on a very serious uh, awards caliber picture. I think that that's really neat. Yeah, it is. This, this is definitely a turn for them. Um, um, I, I do hope that this spawns more properties and more films about the coin like cointel pro man i just think that like america really needs to be educated on how how targeted and uh how persistent j edgar hoover was in taking down um anything that resembled what he dubbed a black messiah um and we have a whole few decades to show how relentless he was in making that happen from you know i'm glad they mentioned bunchy carter and John Huggins, you know, what happened in, uh, I think it was the campus of USC. Um, and they, you know, they were part of the Los Angeles chapter of the Black Panther Party. Um, there's just so many names, man. You know, Medgar Evers. There's so many names, man. But anyway, um, I hope that there's a lot of attention that's paid to J. Edgar Hoover. Because yet, I've yet to see a film that just really shows how much of a piece of shit he was. And he deserves he deserves to be credited with the piece of shitness that he is. So, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm good. I think I got it all out my system, guys. Y'all, y'all ready to call it a night? I know Martin is. <laughs> sure. All right, bet, man. Well, uh, hopefully you guys followed us to the end. And if you did, I hope that you could pick up your phone and follow us 
again on social medias, on Facebook and Instagram at Kinda Movie Critics and on Twitter at Kinda Movie Crits, C-R-I-T-S. And uh, remember, we call ourselves Kinda Movie Critics because we kind of are, we're kind of not. Just a bunch of people who like to watch movies. This has been an On Ear Network production.